0: Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with jazz pianist and composer Randy Ingram. He just released 2017's The Wandering, and this cat was born in Anchorage, Alaska, but he grew up in Southern California. He parlayed his high school trio experience into scholarships at the University of Southern California, and he received a bachelor's degree for jazz performance and the New England Conservatory of Music, where he received a master's degree as well. He received an ASCAP Young Jazz Composer's Award and has gone on to tour Europe as a band leader many, many times and has performed throughout Europe and Japan as a sideman. He's got a lot of stories, so get to know him and dig this interview, my friends. Hey, thank you
1: for taking a minute out to talk with me today. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for reaching out. Happy to, happy to talk. Right on. Well, let me go ahead and kind of generically start off here and ask you, what has been going on with you lately?
2: What has been going on with me lately? A lot of stuff. So, you know, this new record came out on Friday. Um, it's called The Wandering. It's my, my third record as a band leader, my second record on Sunnyside Records. This one is unique, and I'm, and I'm very proud of this one. As I think you know, it's a, it's a very sort of sparse record. It's just a duet uh, with myself and Drew Gress on bass. And I feel like this really sort of documents sort of who I am as a, as a pianist and, and as an artist. And so,
1: you know, it's, it's, it's great to have this music out in the world. Well, talk to me about what's so unique about this album. It is a great album. Take, me kind, of in, take me kind of into the studio and kind of let <clears throat> me know why you feel so good about this album. Okay, so let me let me give
2: you a little backstory. So, you know, my first record for Sunnyside is called Skylift. It came out in 2014, and that features my quartet with the great guitarist Mike Moreno. Um, and that record is all original compositions. And my my original plan was to sort of follow that record up with another of the same band and the same idea, you know. And and part of the thought process in that quartet is really with Two harmonic string instruments. You have a lot of possibility for for color and harmony and 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 sort of composed music. Um, so as I was sort of writing new new pieces in that vein and sort of thinking about that instrumentation, I, I, I realized that I was missing a side to who I am and what I do and and sort of the lineage of of being a jazz pianist and and having freedom in the moment to interpret and to color and to just sort of spontaneously spontaneously be, um, that was starting to lack. I was sort of lacking that in this sort of more kind of structured compositional setting. So around the same time, you know, I, I was playing a lot of duet performances and hearing a lot of duet music, at this new club Mesro which is owned by the, the, the owners of Smalls here in New York. And it sort of was set up in a way to replace the void that was left by Bradley's. Yeah. Um, and, and really sort of a piano based duo centric club. At least that's how it started. Um, and I, and I realized that, you know, some of the things, you know, thinking back to myself as like a 15 year old kid, like sort of falling in love with, with Bill Evans records for the first time, like, I wanted to to get back to that side of things a little bit you know as i started playing with drew you know I, I realized this is a great fit and this music will really work and um i feel equally challenged and supported and and just feel like i can do anything playing with him and i thought you know why don't we do this for the record next i i sort of curated the the repertoire that we we're going to play i wrote some new music we used some of drew's music and and sort of curated and, and found a couple standards, a couple pieces by other jazz composers, things that I thought would be sort of rare and also really meaningful to me. And um, we we went into the studio and just sort of knocked it out in one day. So, you know, very very much
1: like it's a live performance. So I kinda wanna depart the present and go back into your past. You were born in Anchorage, yeah. Alaska and you were raised mm-hmm. in Southern California. Talk to me about your childhood and how you got so interested in jazz.
2: So that's a that's a good story actually. So I I started piano lessons at four,
1: and and I remember
2: much to my early teacher's chagrin's, like I was never exactly interested in what was there on the page for me to play. So even at a young age, I I, I remember thinking, man, these pieces need chords. They need more stuff on the piano. And I, I had figured out some basic basic things, you know, at a really young age. Um, and I stuck with classical, sort of all into high school and um started playing in the jazz bands in middle school and high school and i grew up with a really phenomenal drummer named nate wood who i think you might be familiar with from the band Nebody. body yeah donnie mccaslin's group yeah so nate nate was one of my best friends growing up um and nate is is a complete musical prodigy and his parents are phenomenal musicians um so by the time i started Getting more interested in playing jazz and getting sort of comfortable enough to to play with people. Nate, Nate and I were playing all the time, and and um, we had another wonderful friend who was a bass player. So so we had a trio, and you know it felt it it just sort of clicked. You know, it's like as soon as we started playing together and and sort of hanging out, I was like, okay, this is this is going to work. You know, this is what I want to do, and um, you know, along the way, just sort of discovering a lot. A lot more music, you know, and I I remember very vividly just sort of being in high school early and, and, you know, somebody saying, hey, check out Miles' record, Kind of Blue, and saying, hey, I really like the piano player on this, and then finding other Bill Evans records, and, you know, I remember a TV special, I think it was in 94, there was like a big blue note at town hall or something thing on TV, right, and seeing a lot of people for the first time, like seeing Herbie Hancock on TV for the first time, I was like, whoa, I like this and I want to do this, you know? And it just sort of snowballed.
1: Was there anybody else, any other albums that you listened to that were really seminal for you that got you into jazz?
2: I mean, a ton of records. You know, I think Kind of Blue was maybe the first one. That summer, I went to the Stanford Jazz Workshop. Um, so I got to work with Mulgrey Miller and John Clayton and, and a lot of people. You know, I, I still was very young and very green. Wayne Shorter's record, Speak New Evil, was huge. Um... And, you know, I think I got, you know, I'm not that old, but it, it feels like a long time ago, those were the days where you had to buy CDs, you know, and so there was always this very judicious, like, well, which one should I get, you know? Kick Korea Acoustic Band was very big back then in my, in my life, you know, I'm sort of coming back and revisiting that music, you know, I sort of stayed away from it for a while, but um you know, I've, I've been playing with Patatucci, a little bit and that's been wonderful and you know just sort of talking to him about la and the fusion era it's it's interesting to go back and and think about some of that music um but really herbie hancock bill evans you know the miles records i would say by the end of high school i had pretty similar record collection to what i have today um lots of keith Jarrett. um Records like The Real McCoy or Now He Sings, Now He Sobs, you know, those are just really important to me. So you, yeah. played,
1: you played in high school, and mm-hmm. then you got scholarships at the University of Southern California, and then you go uh-huh. on to the New England Conservatory, you get a master's yeah. degree. What have you learned mm-hmm. over your life in higher educational environments? What, what, is, what have they taught you about being a musician?
2: Um I guess for me the the real benefit of being in those environments was the access to the people who taught there and um you know through USC I met Alan Pasqua who has become like a real mentor to me and and really a great lifelong friend you know and just just such a great role model and and you know a fantastic pianist out in LA and Alan Alan was very instrumental in helping me get a scholarship to the New England Conservatory. And once I was there, you know, it's uh, it it was a phenomenal program. It wasn't so much academic, but all of a sudden, you know, I'm studying with Fred Hirsch and Bob Brookmeyer, and and taking theory classes with George Russell, and hanging out with Rand Blake. And so, you know, these days that old sort of traditional trajectory where young musician can bypass school and just sort of go out to the clubs and meet the, the masters and the important mentors for him or her that doesn't really exist anymore right so I think the best way to get access to those people that are so instrumental in your development is is by going to a school you know because that's where you're going to find them and that's where you're going to have the most access to them you know so that's that's really the thing that I feel is like incredibly invaluable I mean how many people get to say that they got to play duets with Bob Brookmeyer, you know, two pianos or piano trombone. And that's what we did for the bulk of our lessons
1: together. Right on. Yeah. Along the way, you played with a lot of other people: um, mm-hmm. Danilo Perez, Fred Hirsch. There's been a lot of people that you played with, even with Bob Well Rook Those
2: Clark. are those are my those are my teachers.
1: Danilo well, but Fred. I guess what I should say, I guess I should rephrase it is that the, you know you were you were actively with them in a in that right. environment of playing. What did you learn from them? What do you remember now when you get on stage that they told you?
2: I mean, I think just everything. You know, Fred was really instrumental so so i sort of departed from the classical world in high school as i got more into the jazz world and and in retrospect maybe that wasn't the best idea because you know i sort of had some technical problems and had some sort of pianistic things that that didn't didn't get addressed as much through undergrad so fred was really instrumental in helping me physically with the piano and you know he he has obviously just such a marvelous touch at the instrument and great you know he's sort of really renowned for how he gets his sound out of the instrument and physically how he produces that too so you know fred was a huge like transformative influence as far as that stuff goes for me and really really sort of helped me and danilo i didn't work with him I, i studied with him my second year of grad school so i i didn't study with him my first year but um you know, I, I just think of Danilo's enthusiasm and, and his joy and and just his openness and willingness to embrace what's happening in the moment. You know, I'm still sort of just I, I I saw Wayne um Sunday out in New Jersey and the performance was just so unbelievable. You know, and I think just having a having a mentor who's playing on that level and also willing to to take so many chances on that level in front of people is is really inspiring, really an important lesson. And that's always stayed with me, to be in the moment, you know, when you're on stage.
1: So you've won awards over your career. You've been recognized for what you do with your prowess. And one of them Mm -hmm. was the ASCAP Young Jazz Composers Award. Let me ask you this. Is there an award that you won, not your favorite one, but one that has surprised you the most? I think the one that, that... surprised me
2: the most and was also sort of my favorite is not necessarily an award but um you know last fall i went to the mcdowell colony in in new hampshire on a composition fellowship and the mcdowell colony is one of the sort of oldest and most prestigious sort of artist residencies that that we have in the u.s um i first was aware of it because when i was studying with fred um he went up there for a couple of weeks and wrote what became his big 3D um, or three CD box set on Nunchucks, the songs without words project. So he, he's been up there many times in his career to write a lot of music. And um, I sort of gave it a shot and, and, and was really surprised that I got in. Um, Cause I've never thought of myself as a composer with a capital C, you know, I, I don't, I don't see myself writing string quartets or, or extended suite for big band anytime soon. It's just sort of, or, or conceptualized music rather. But that was a, a tremendous honor. Um, and I got a ton of work done up there. And actually I do want to go back to the quartet with guitar format for a subsequent record. And so I I wrote a bunch of music that'll that'll surface on that record eventually up there. And again, it was just a tremendous honor because the, the people, you know, the the
1: other McDowell fellows up there are just incredibly accomplished, just brilliant people. You know, the other facet of you is is that you were in uh, Sweden's highest grossing film in twenty thirteen, Waltz for Monica. Talk to me about that. What was that experience like? That
2: experience was, was very fun and, and very surreal. So my good friend John Arabagon, who's a tremendous saxophonist, had a a, a mutual friend we had a mutual friend who was a um, casting director. The director of Walter Monica is a very famous Danish film director named Per Fly. And, you know, in the typical Scandinavian aesthetic of doing everything the right way and, and being very attentive towards detail, they wanted real musicians as much as possible for the film instead of actors. Um, and so I got a call out of the blue from this casting director. And they said, oh, you know, there's this Swedish movie about a jazz singer and they're looking for people. And I said, oh, so they must be making a movie about Monica Zetterlund and you're probably calling me because they want somebody to play the role of Bill Evans, right? And so they said yes. And, and I went in um, and auditioned and, and got the got the role. I mean, Bill's always been sort of a real hero of mine. And, you know, I feel like I... I have a little insight on who he was as a person, just based on spending so much time with George Russell and Bob Brookmeyer, and, and, you know, another early mentor of mine was a great drummer in Joe LaBarbera out in California, so, you know, I feel like I've been around so many people that knew him pretty well, Um, and it was just really fun, I have a couple lines in the film, not not very much, but, um, you know, a lot of it was just sort of playing on stage, and and learning you know transcriptions of things and and sort of getting them right on the camera it was just a really interesting really interesting experience you know and and you know sort of like a once in a lifetime thing i think absolutely you know i don't see parlaying that into much more of an acting career but you never know
1: absolutely well, the one thing, too, that you've done quite a bit of is you've traveled. You've been to Europe, you've been to Japan, you've been all over the place. Mm-hmm. What does is, what is travel do for you when you bring your music to people from different cultures? I think it's
2: absolutely
1: necessary as a jazz
2: musician. And, it, and it's funny, I was having a conversation with a friend of mine who is um, more of a pop musician and, and has done a lot of touring with big bands and is sort of ready to get off the road in that context. And you know, I said one of the differences I think is this, you know, when we're when we're playing jazz and we're we're really improvising and really creating in the moment, that the connection you have with the audience is so incredibly important. And you know, to feel like you're going to somewhere different and really sharing yourselves with you know the the local audience, it's it's a really wonderful feeling. And um I think it's really vital and I think it's really important in the development and the sort of refinement of your art, too, to be in new settings and, and, and new places to inspire you and new audiences to, to connect with. Really sort of one of my favorite things about being a musician is the ability to travel. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited and I'm going, you know, have a few dates in June in, in Europe um, with Drew and taking the great drummer Mark Ferber over with me. So those will be some fun gigs.
1: Yeah. So up to this point in your life, how do you feel about your career? I, as I get a little older, I I,
2: I learn not to judge quite as much. Um, you know, it's it's an incredibly competitive field right now, and there are so many amazingly talented musicians. And you know, I I really choose to look at that as a as a positive and as a point of inspiration instead of a point of you know frustration. It's tough, you know. I mean, as a marketplace things seem to be dwindling somewhat, you know, and I, and I think um, jazz is always going to be dependent on some level on some, some sort of institutional support, Um, you know, which we, unfortunately, we don't have any of in this country. And what little that there is seems to be, you know, precariously, you know, in a very precarious place right now. Um, It's, it 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 would be nice to to be in a situation where there were more touring with more established artists you know what i've done as a sideman i i i really love um i'm not really in control of that so much so you know i do what i can as a band leader because i feel like that's what i have a little bit more control over in in general i have no complaints you know i think things are are continuing to evolve and progress and and you know i i i choose to feel really fortunate that I that I have the career that I do.
1: So let me ask you this. Of all the shows that you've seen live and you're a live performer, if you could get into a time mm-hmm. machine and go back and see a jazz show, where would you go? Who would you see? I'm 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 lucky that I've seen most of my
2: heroes. You know, I guess if we're gonna kill two birds with one stone and, and see two people that I, I wasn't around to see live, you know, I guess I would go back to nineteen fifty eight and catch, you know, miles of band when when Bill Evans was in it you know, because I didn't get to see Bill live, I didn't get to see Miles live, and of course I didn't get to see Coltrane live either, so that would kind
1: of kill three birds with one stone there. Well, let me ask you a general question. You've devoted your life to it, but why do you love jazz?
2: I think so much of it is just, you know, it's a very pianistic thing. It's just the colors and the sounds and the and the creativity that's that's there. You know, and I think that kind of goes back to this record, too. I just, I I feel like, I get to sit down in the morning and and play through a tune and i and I really just get to feel like I express who I am you know through that through playing um and and I feel like it's just sort of the ultimate kind of artistic form of self of self expression for me and and you know kind of looking back on it you know before I played jazz and before I knew much about it, you know my parents we we didn't listen to jazz, per se, growing up, but we listened to a lot of standards. You know, we listened to a lot of Sinatra records and things like that. So I really kind of knew a lot of repertoire even before I knew how to play it on the piano. And it just sort of makes sense to me, you know?
1: So what is one of the nicest things a fan has ever said to you about your music?
2: You know what? Something that happened recently, actually a couple of days ago at the release show for... For this record at the Jazz Gallery, a good friend of mine came and brought with him the recording engineer Malcolm Addy, and and Malcolm's like sort of a real important figure in the in the field of of recording. I mean, he interned at Abbey Road in the '60s, you know, and did did some assisting work on Beatles records. He he's done a, a whole ton of things. Um, you know, in all genres, and one of the things that he engineered was the last um, Bill Evans performance at the Vanguard in 1980, and that became that six-CD box set that came out maybe ten years ago or something like that. Yeah. So he recorded that, and he was at the show, and he said, you know, your music really sort of replaces a void that, that you know, you, you sort of... Replace the void that Bill Evans had filled for me. So, you know, I thought that was a tremendous compliment, you know, and, and incredibly flattering. Absolutely. Yeah, that is great, man. You know, and, and especially for somebody that, that really knows the music and since, since he recorded it, he's he's intimately aware of all the ins and outs of it, you know.
1: Yeah. Yeah, without a doubt. Without a doubt. Um, You know, everyone has a version of who you are, your family, your friends. Uh, everybody that you work with but who do you think you are when you wake up and face today who are you wow that's a very hard question to answer
2: I don't know you know hopefully somebody that that really cares about the world and cares about the people in his life and um, you know just wants to put good good vibes out there through through creativity and music and art and, and kindness you know all of those are qualities that we don't have nearly enough of in the world right now so you know, I hope through through what I do that, that that makes the world a better place, you know? Absolutely. I think that's a great way
1: to wrap everything up. Randy, thank you for taking a minute out to talk to me about the new album and opening up about of your course. world. Of course. so it. much. I really appreciate it.
0: Thanks for listening and tuning in to yet another Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight into the finest players in New York, Kansas City, Southern California, and spots all over the world giving fans all that jazz. Thanks to Randy for his time and his stories and all that music. If you want to hear more interviews, go to Famous Interviews with Joe Domino on the iTunes Store. Visit neon at YouTube.com and for everything neon jazz, go to the neonjazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, enjoy the music, my friends.
2: Neon Jazz.